Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Michael Mueller, owner of the M3 Creative Studio. And I'm joined with Curtis Wyatt, the head of television and film, um, actor extraordinaire, director, writer extraordinaire. Uh, welcome to the Creative AF Podcast, where we talk about everything indie, arts, music, entertainment. If you're creative, this podcast is for you. Our big sponsor, Atlanta Film Production Group. I was a little delayed, but hey, we'll take it. But it's a pretty active film production group page on Facebook. Check them out. They always got a lot of things going on. Great networking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good stuff, good stuff. What are we talking about today? Uh, so today we're talking about an important topic that a lot of people wanted to know. And that topic is referring people. Giving that person that cosign and exactly what you should do, when you should do it, and how you should protect yourself just in case if it goes bad. Has that happened for you before? Has it gone bad? Actually, no. Well, no, that's a lie. One time I guess it did both go bad. T- either way, though, like if it ha- have you co-signed somebody and they were they didn't deliver, or have you taken uh, a referral from a co-sign that you trusted and that didn't work out? I have taken a co-sign from somebody. And it didn't work out. And then when I asked questions about that person that co-signed them, I was like, oh, so that's why it didn't work out. Because there was a lot of information that they didn't know, but they co-signed this person because Mm -hmm. they heard from somebody else. Like, don't ever attach your name to somebody unless you have an intimate detail of how they work. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that. that's my first. So you've worked with them before. Because there's a lot of time, oh, yeah, my buddy does this. And I don't think people are necessarily, like, putting their full value of like what their cosign is worth because you know at the end of the day like it, in our circle we probably know a lot of people and when mm-hmm. someone comes you say hey do you know someone that does this or someone that does this it's real easy for us to say yeah we know somebody but is it someone that we would throw work to because of their work ethic see and i feel like that's like the biggest thing especially when it comes to co-signing someone which is given your name which is mm-hmm. also a big part of it your brand onto somebody else and being like, yeah, this person, I trust enough to do this job and to send them to a set or to a person as a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Perfect example, like being an actor, one of the big things that every single actor needs is headshots. You oh, need... And I see posts for headshots all the time. Quality headshots are a part of the game. You have to get them. And like, I've been slacking. I think that's a whole nother conversation because as, as a filmmaker... You know, obviously, in that's a whole that's a second whole other discussion because defining director, we have a we have an interesting dialogue about that. But then also, I don't I hate headshots. I'm not an actor. I I'll I'll do I'll take some headshots as a photographer, but I hate headshots. See, and as an actor, like that headshot's the first introduction. Why is that? What 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 is where does the the hype behind the headshot come into play? Because when people are casting for things, that's going to be the very first thing that they see from you. So that has to be good or of a certain quality. And it has to show if you're auditioning for this hero, within that headshot, I need to see you be able to be a hero. I need to see this when I first initially look at you before I even send you an audition tape, 
submission, anything. Now, you're different because I've seen you a little bit more in your casting process. Mm -hmm. You'll see a person to be like, all right, I'm going to send you out the audition sides and prove to me that you can be this character. But for a lot of other casting directors, they see that initial headshot and it's like, okay, I know that the director or the writer or whoever it is for the production, the executive producer, they're not looking for this type of look for that. Okay, we can put them off to the side. They're looking How for you this. begin to trust a per This see it's going into a whole nother uh re- fucking take, rabbit hole. Bro, but, take it there, bro. But I'm saying so I've never had to like in anything we've ever done or as long as any project I've ever I've never worked with a casting director. I don't know if I have enough trust in a person to decide that they know me enough to say that this person or this person cuz haven't you ever been surprised by an actor auditioning that it what they were not what you were thinking at all for a particular role, and they just take you by surprise. And you're just like, wow, I'm glad I took the chance to check them out. More times than not, because like, and this is something that we've talked about a little bit, like until an actor gets that opportunity, how are they going to be able to play that role? Mm-hmm. Like if I don't ever get an opportunity to act as this, like if I don't ever get the opportunity to be the nerdy kid in the classroom, well, then how am I ever supposed mm-hmm. to? Be that person. You look at my headshot and assume I can't play that based on what you're looking at, but that may be the perfect role for me. Yeah. Well, I just hate the headshots, man. Because it's it's so deceiving. First of all, I don't care. You're you're never going to look like that on camera, let alone I've never seen an audition tape look like the headshot ever. And sometimes it's polar opposite. Like they'll have a completely different hair color and style than the mm-hmm. the. And I'm like, well, dude, you're wasting everyone's time. That's not even how you look right now. Like your hair, all these things are different. I just, it's so super deceiving to me. It just, it really is. Because I know how much work goes into the edit of polishing a headshot. <clears throat> See, now that's coming from the photographer side. All right, so you get somebody's headshot. How much alterations are you doing to somebody's face? How much are you changing? Everything. Them? Everything? Everything. We're, besides cleaning up skin, we're widening eyes, we're narrowing jawline, we're expanding or shrinking the forehead. And we're not talking about dramatic pieces or dramatic changes, but we are tightening it up. Say, for example, we had a really good uh, expression from the actor, but maybe they had a little bit of a squint in their eye because it's where you caught the picture at or the way the flash hit or whatever the case is. We can offset that open up the eye a little bit more, you know, especially when you're talking about headshots and you want somebody that, oh, give me a surprise look or give me, you know, these different, these different aspects and you can cheat it a little bit in Photoshop. See, cause I, I know for a fact, like one of my headshots, uh, people took the, made my teeth as white as pearly snow, but like you can do all that alterations within a headshot. You can mm-hmm. alter somebody's jawline, so why are you surprised when they don't look the same when you get that audition? That's thing? why I don't like headshots because it's an unrealistic. It's it's an ex. You're you're sending me an image of how you will never ever look in person on camera. Man, you give me some makeup, bro. You get that sag. Hey, I can look like that. I can look. I get that it. Good. I I I, I kind of get what you're saying, but yeah, that's just my my hate with it. But you're saying the cosine on headshots. Yeah, so literally one of the biggest parts of being an actor is that headshot and making sure that you have a good one. So I'm never going to recommend somebody that I know just takes good photos. Perfect example. You know several photographers that take dope photos, but they're also not good headshot takers. 
because taking a headshot. Photography is very specific to your niche. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some people that are really good at like street photography, which is more candid things in motion out on the street, natural light type things. There's people that are really good at studio and portfolio type stuff. There's but you can see why it's hard for me to give a cosign for someone that I haven't yeah. taken shots with. Would you, yeah, well, that, that was going to be my next question. Is there, would you cosign a, a, a headshot photographer that hasn't taken your headshot? No, there's no way I could because I can't, I can't use personal experience for it. If I'm given someone my cosign and i'll use this as an example we're about to shoot a production we're about to go into several months of shooting different shorts commercials mm-hmm. different things are coming up these coming months there's no way in the world i'm going to bring someone on set unless it's got to come from a cosign from someone i trust that i've worked with or it's got to be from my personal experience is there a difference between a cosign and a referral yes so where do you draw the line on which is which, or how do you and do you, how do you premise it when you're talking to somebody? So I'll use this as an example. Actually, someone who is active at the studio, G is someone that I would consider. I'll put my co-sign on. Okay, Touché. I will co-sign G. I've worked on several productions with him. We've had several conversations. I know his knowledge of what he's capable of doing. The boys dope. So I would give him my co-sign. and you would refer Daniel. Damn, <laughs> Daniel, I love you. Dang, bro. I had to do it because I know they're listening. I had it. But I know G worked with him. Now, there could be someone that I get referred to, like a perfect example is a DP that I knew. Uh, he ended up referring me to a sound guy. Sound guy wasn't anything great or special, but it was a referral from someone I trusted. Luckily for that production, it worked out, but for others, it it may not like yeah. one. Of I think the- sound is that just brings up a whole plethora of questions too, because you're like, what, you know, for a DP or an editor, it's like, here's my reel. You can see I shot this, I edit, but like the, the boom, like sound goes through so many things on, before you, the audience ever hears what mm-hmm. it is. So you're, how do you gauge a good sound person? <laughs> It's it's hard without actually working with one. Cause you're like, give me your reel. Can you say that to a sound person? I, I guess I, I don't know. Cause typically, like sound is like referrals. Like everybody that I've worked with in terms of sound, there's one guy that I've worked with, fantastic Damon. I would recommend him to anybody inside the world. And then there's other people that I've worked with only co-sign or referral. I would co-sign him. Okay. I would co-sign him, and I would co-sign James. Those are two sound people that I put my full support behind and co-sign them. Anybody outside them, too, if I've heard that they're good, I'll give you a referral. Like, mm-hmm. hearing somebody's good and me having a personal experience. So it always starts with the, I've never worked with them. I just know this is what they do. And I and I make sure wholeheartedly I premise it like that. Because the last thing I want is someone to say, well, Curtis told me this dude. Yeah, yeah. because your, your reputation can get... Uh, it can disintegrate in no time if, if you don't get to live past one or two bad like cosigns. I think because people are like no that person no, no. Well, they won't ask your opinion again anymore. See now you're a studio owner. You've done a whole bunch of stuff. Now what in terms of you like what does it take for you to give somebody a cosign? Oh, you have to take that deep breath. Mm. Uh oh. I don't really. I don't do a lot of cosigns. 
I don't. When was the last time that you co-signed something? It's probably about maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago. Wow, that is a minute. And because I know people ask for recommendations from you all the time. Right, but a recommend uh, like writing something up and having an opportunity, like, hey, this person is strong in this, you know. Da, da, da. But like the cosign, when I'm like, that's me giving you a guarantee if this shit doesn't work out well, like I personally back this person. That's how I look at my cosign. Like mm-hmm. if I tell you, if I cosign this person and it doesn't go well, like I will rectify the situation. Like that's how I look at my cosign because like when I believe in somebody that much to where I can back them, like I have enough faith in them to know that they're, they're not going to F up to the point where I have to actually come in and fix it or save it or whatever that may look like. Yeah. So it's, and, and I believe it or not, the last cosign and I got burned on it. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a whole story. Yeah. It, 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 that's a whole other story. So Wait, hold, and, on, hold on, hold off on that story. We gonna, we gonna no, get we no, I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to go into it. Not, not, but it's, it's so, and maybe that's it. It's kind of like, you know, you see like a, a turtle sees danger and it clenches up in its shell to protect itself. And I kind of feel the same way about like I haven't been in the zone or in the area to where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to just co-sign this or co-sign. And like I went, it was bad. It was like a double co-sign, double burn type situation. Dang. Yeah. Well, so, here's one thing I want to bring because we talk about a lot of creative aspects for music. And my brother told me this. The cosign is one of the most powerful things that you can get in the music game. As long as the person that's doing that cosign is respected for that. You know, obviously, if someone doesn't have a track record or they're just bullshit, it doesn't really matter what they're cosigned. Well, how, well, how do you even get cosigned? In music? Mm-hmm. It's an organic thing, man. It's not something you can go out and try to get or ask people to do. It's from you doing the work, head down, putting the grind on, and someone taking notice and respecting it. And then in some form or fashion, you've developed some type of rapport and relationship with them. And it's like, that's a big thing. Because if they're a person of influence or they have any type of position or clout or or can make things happen for you to where that person has had a whole life of building this rapport where people respect their cosign because there's the two intersecting pieces of it right there's the the person doing the cosign and then the person getting the cosign so one that person has to be relevant in that industry and respected because otherwise it doesn't matter what they say yeah you know so but in some cases that cosign can make or break someone's career in music anyways, because it's like that same person, if they are asked about it and they say something, uh, you know, that person, you know, ain't shit or whatever, however they put it, no one would fuck with that person then. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a, it's an unfortunate thing, but build, build your, you know, you got to build around it to where you're not dependent on a cosign. It should always be the cherry on top. Don't be dependent on a cosign. That's kind of the way I look at it. Okay. So music game is completely different. But one thing that I have seen a lot is like up and coming artists and with bigger artists coming with them. And like you used to do music and actually you still do a lot of music. 
like inside the music game, it's weird to me how someone can immediately be, it feels like to me, someone mm-hmm. can be immediately co-signed, then they jump to another level in terms of like notoriety and people knowing them. I think it just looks like that's how things happen, but it's typically things are in emotion for a very long time, like for that person. Gotcha. And it always appears like anytime we hear new artists, new music, like, oh, this person's new. It's just new to us. It doesn't mean that they're new. They, they they could have five, six, seven years in on the grind before a song picked up for them and they started to get noticed. And it, I can assure you anybody that has any type of influence is not going to co-sign somebody without seeing their grind of how long they've been on it because, you know, that's essentially what you're saying. Because, like, it's got to have value. Your co-sign has to have value. If you haven't put any value or built any respect into that value, it, it's not going to matter. All right. So, for the cosign, when did you get cosigned, Mike? Who gave you a cosign that was like, hey, this guy told me that I should definitely collab with you or work with you? Who put you in a position to win? My first position, probably Ryan Cameron. But it wasn't initial. It didn't. It started with him you seeing. Don't drop the name and don't explain it who it is either because, you know, people out here may not know. Oh, so Ryan Cameron, he – uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Hall of Fame radio personality. Mm-hmm. God, this dude. He's cultivated so many um, careers that's absolutely insane. Like when you think about, you know, um, Lala, Chris Bridges, Ludacris, all these people. Uh, Ludacris was his intern. I was the same position I was in at one point. He was oh, in great. A, now yeah. you think you're Ludacris. No, no, no. Definitely not. No, we were much different. He, <laughs> you're right. You guys, I mean, kind of favor each other. Uh, but, um, you know, and, and like Ryan had a lot to do with just the, the entire uh, rap and hip hop movement in Atlanta in the 90s. That's when he really started popping. That's when Outkast, all of these things in the mecca of music started the era in Atlanta in the 90s. And he was a, always a part of that movement. So he saw the, the I, I, I'm assuming, saw the potential and gave me the opportunity to prove. So I, I would say that's where it probably started for me. All right, so he was like your biggest cosign. I think it was, it was a combination of, yeah, because I mean, by the time I met him, he he had, he super. How many how many radio personalities are are cutting seven figure deals for talking for four hours? Not in many. in two thousand and five. So yeah, to me that that that's that's yeah for sure unequivocally. That was your biggest cosign. I maybe I don't know. I know it's what got me started. It's what it's where. It was the that opportunity is where I realized, oh, this can be like real life. Like I could do this for a living type. I could earn a living doing this. That's what made it real to me, anyways. I think my biggest cosign as of yet. I feel like I'm gonna have another one soon. Fingers crossed. But my biggest one would have actually been for a script that I wrote. Okay. So it was weird because I wrote a short film for this guy. Mm-hmm. And I know we talked not too long ago about working for free. Mm-hmm. I worked for free on writing this script for this guy. And when I tell you that he had a whole bunch of changes, and at that time, you're very new, you're going with it. 
I changed a lot, made it the way that he wanted to, but I essentially wrote down his idea. He's like, oh, this is great, but I want this and this change. Then I'll change those, and he's like, well, now that you changed that, can you go back and change this? And I would go back and change that. And all this felt like I was doing was just changing, 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 and changing. So after I got finished changing all those things, he made his film. It came out. It wasn't a bad film. Won a couple festivals. I know your favorite. You love festivals. And then after that, I didn't hear from him for like a couple months. Then he ends up hitting me back. He's like, hey, bro, I got a project for you. It's going to be paid. I'm like, okay, cool. How much are we like talking for like the script? He's like, we talking about five. I was like, figures for real? And like inside my mind, I'm like. Are we talking about 500, 5,000? Oh, 5,000. I was like, okay. I was like, 5,000? I'm like, okay, cool. He's he's like, he just wants a short film. I was like, okay. Okay, that's pretty cool. 5,000 just for a short. Then he told me what it was. And I was like, is he sure he wants me? He's like, bro, I already told him you're one of the best to work with. And I was like, oh, thank you. And like at that moment in time for what I was working for and doing, because like I said, I worked for free for him just a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, that was the highest paying script that I had done. So like for me, that was my biggest cosign because after writing that short, it branched me out into so many other jobs after that. So it went from the 5,000 to getting a couple scripts that were like 20,000 payments and different stuff like that. So it was like, oh, shoot, I'm inside a new lane real quick. I didn't know I could get into here, but yeah, that small cosign of getting that 5,000 for that short led to. And see the, the great part about that too. And what people I think tend to often overlook is the, you weren't working in the aspects of hoping for a cosign or anything like you were no. doing it because this is what you, it, it, I don't even know that we need to create a word that defines what that is, but it's just like, you were doing the work. You wanted to do the work. You wanted to to. It's called passion. Work. I was doing it for the passion of it. I just passion to, to work on your craft. It, it was an opportunity to also get a feel of writing for somebody else other than yourself, and having to deal with how we handle and take feedback and suggestions. Because I'm sure in that process, not every suggestion is something you necessarily agreed with. But hey, this is the person that I'm writing for. It's not mine. It's theirs type thing, mm-hmm. and you have to digest that but it's also something you're not even like oh yeah this guy's gonna co-sign me later on for any like you don't it's not even a thing on the radar when you're going through it you know i think that's what makes you know certain cosigns greater than others you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um but then again too you know maybe not everybody puts the weight into or 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 thinks of their cosign being important too because i've seen that come across where you know it's just, oh, yeah, I know a guy. Like, I know a guy in a cosign. To me, it's like it's two different things. Exactly. So one thing that is kind of hard is, like, protecting your brand after you've co-signed somebody. Because once you – I don't know the situation, what they're going into. Once I give them a cosign of the project, I don't know exactly what happened on the day because typically you're not there mm-hmm. after you co-sign somebody. So after something's happened, like, how do you protect yourself? Like, what do you, what steps do you take? Or can you, you protect don't, yourself? The, the answer is short and quick. If you have to worry about your brand being protected after a cosign, you should not be cosigning that person because the person you're cosigning for isn't going to create the anxiety. That's the power, the purpose of the cosign is that you don't have to worry about 
what it is or what happens. At, I'm more likely to think if something goes bad on a, uh, like if I co-sign somebody and it goes, something doesn't go right, I'm going to automatically think it was on the other person, not the person I co-signed, if mm-hmm. it didn't go right. But that's, but I'm just really overprotective of mine too. Well, yeah, because I was about to say, I can't think of a scenario where I've co-signed somebody and like, it went bad. Now, things have gone bad, but it's never been on the person that I co-signed's fault. Like, stuff happened, whether it was somebody else in the production didn't have transportation, so the shoot started late or any of those things. And I'm only using film because that's typically where I give my co-signs out. Like, I think there's two DPs that I would co-sign out of all the ones that I've worked with, and I've worked with a lot. I think there's two sound guys that I would co-sign. But see, I think I take it even beyond just the industry of what we like. I'm not going to co-sign a landscaper without me knowing that they're the shit. Like Mm -hmm. it's like, because it doesn't just have to be applicable to the industry or what the, our, our day to day is. It, It can be something that is just general stuff like a fence guy or landscape or someone who paints houses or whatever the case is. Like, I'm not going to co-sign a person, a business, a brand, or anything unless I have a tried and true relationship over meaning they've done constant work for me for, uh, you know, or constant scenarios where it's worked out really well and I have, like, absolute trust in this person. Okay. Something. So now we're talking about individuals, but one thing I want to talk to you about is when it comes to entertainment – how do you know what to recommend or what you want people to watch? I just tell them what I, I mean, it's, it's a completely selfish recommendation because it's based on what, if, if I'm recommending something is something I thoroughly enjoy, something I've watched multiple times, something that was provoking in one way or the other that, you know, I will also, is it unco like I will also, I guess you have to give the cosign to uncosign it, but I'm like, I was, and I will also provide the negative cosign of like, do not watch this shit or do not. Like I had a friend buying an infinity SUV. I said, do not buy infinity. It is literally the worst vehicle I've ever owned. All right. We just lost our infinity sponsor. Thank you, Mike. They were just texting me right now. Good. So that's cool. Cause bro. they weren't going to, you know, I can't, <laughs> Never mind. I'm not even well, no, and the reason why I say that is, like, for me, when it comes to recommendations, especially when it comes to entertainment, I never do it out of a selfish thing. I always do it of what I think that person may like. Like, That's for instance, mess up, though. You see, I, I, I feel like I introduced you to the Safety brothers as directors when it comes to Uncut Gems and Good Time. Okay. I knew after having a conversation with you that I feel like that you would have vibed with them in the well i think too well i remember that conversation because i watched uncut gems and you're like oh if you liked uncut gems then you need to check out good times and that's when i went back and and at first i was like robert pattinson really because the only memory i have of robert pattinson which is most people's twilight well my wife was a a fangirl of first she read the books then what was she vampire werewolf that's oh, she was all Edward Cullen. She was 1,000%. Oh, she doesn't. Yeah. But then, you know, and then, well, then, you know, obviously, you know, um, when Taylor got more adult and, you know, so it, it was a lot of emotions, I <laughs> it guess. It was an awkward that, phase for every everybody's relationship. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think it was like um, a couple weeks ago, she went back and watched it. I was like, this is terrible. 
like everything. Is it as bad? Because I remember hating it then. I don't want to. I haven't. Went did back. you hate it because it was the hype beast at the moment, or did you just hate it because of it was not story for you? I think the very first one I watched, I think, was like a new moon or something like that. It's like oh, well, see, I think it. I think in all fair, yeah, I think that was part two. See, I watched that one first, and I didn't know what was going on, but the girl that took me to go see it explained everything to me. But even after watching, I was like, I don't care for this. Yeah. At all. Yeah, for me, it just was a thing that passed over me. Jumped into the Hunger Games, though. Thoroughly enjoyed that. But, like, like in terms of, like, YA books at that time, like, that wasn't, no, that wasn't my It's It's interesting, because... I'm not a big sci-fi fantasy film watcher, um, but every once in a while there's like uh, a trilogy or a series that'll catch my attention and I'm, I'm all in on it. And that's, that's me in life. I'm all in or I'm all out. There's never a, a happy medium. That's why I drink like five espressos, have some espresso beans, and then get a B12 shot because I'm like all in. You See, know? that's a problem. It could be. You could, could be an be. addict. We don't know. Caffeine. I, 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 I could own that one. Caffeine addict. But I loved uh, the Hunger Games. The I, I thought it was also really awesome that it was all filmed here. Where the majority of it was filmed here. Mm-hmm. And there's just, you know, I don't know what it was about um, the that series or that film that I gravitated to it. But I also liked The Maze Runner. Um, the oh, first yeah, I one. thought that was dope too. I did like that. Um, I d- I never seen a, a Harry Potter movie, but I love game. Uh, well, Game of Thrones, obviously, but I also love uh, Lord of the Rings. I was a big Lord of the Rings fan. I love Lord of the Rings as well. Never into Harry Potter. My daughter is fully into Harry. Potter. I think I was a generation off because I know my sisters. Which are like eight and twelve years younger. Bro, you were like two generations off. Stop lying about. No, I'm talking about my sisters. So, like, my sisters are both big Harry Potter fans, and we have an eight and twelve year difference. I mean, you just do the math, but it's it's. (laughs) (laughs) You just do the math. Don't worry about it, but yeah. Yeah. But they they were big on. I just couldn't. I just never. It just never clicked for me because generally, that's it's got to be deeper than just magic and shit. Okay, well then, in that case, what is a movie that you would recommend to someone out there in the indie world? Like, whether it be a... Because there's certain films, after having a conversation with a couple of people that work here, that you would recommend for a director or for an actor. What would you recommend for a director, then? Like, a film that they should watch. A film a director should watch? Or a, a new or upcoming? A new and upcoming director. What's a film that they should watch? Anything David Fincher has done. I'm a huge Dave Fincher guy. He's the goat, man. Here, I thought you were going to say something, you know, that I would assume a lot of people haven't seen, like, 12 Angry Men. Well, that's, if if 12 Angry Men is going to be very specific to a reason why. But if we're generalizing, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a new, I'm trying to learn the art of directing and storytelling, mm-hmm. I think, like, there, there's a lot more to learn from seeing or watching and I, I would say reverse engineering something that David Fincher's done as opposed to 12 Angry Men because even though how great 12 Angry Men is, it's also uh, it's specific to why it's so great and what they achieved with it, which I don't know how many overall 
lessons are within there as opposed to something like the way David Fincher tears apart a sh- his script and yeah let me tell you why you're on crack so the reason why i believe that you're on (laughs) the reason you're on drugs so the reason why i think you're on drugs is 12 angry men i think is one of the best films to show an upcoming director because it literally shows you how to do a whole film in one room with 12 different characters and you never lose interest the slowest part about the movie was the titles at the beginning. And once we got past the titles, we were in it to win it, baby. Because actually, until I honestly genuinely think about it, the beginning, they show a little bit of a courtroom scene. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, they show all those 12 men leaving that room yes. and going their separate ways in life. No, it's a phenomenal. It's, but it, the and- rest of that time is in one room, and you never lose interest in the story. It's a great. It's a great thing of showing writing in terms of pacing it's a great thing of showing directing in terms of pacing it's also as an actor of keeping that character and making those choices within those moments too it's to me it's an all-around great film how how difficult do you think it was on the casting side because i think if you don't get that part right it's so dependent on each of those characters performances like if you don't nail that piece of it none of it works well, I assure you that probably each one of those actors had a headshot. Uh, in nineteen twenty, bro, I don't, I don't know if that's how the headshots. Could you imagine how expensive a headshot was? But no, honestly, for that, it, the casting was first of all impeccable and fantastic. But it, there's so many elements with, because one thing I don't think a lot of upcoming filmmakers know, and like I know that we're kind of branching off into this, but like. The reason why I think that film works on so many levels is because so many things were at the height of its powers, like in terms of like the camera work, mm-hmm. in terms of the acting, because without those actors, it falls apart. Yeah. Because each one of them is very distinct. There is no character that I think is side 12 angry men that wasn't different from the other one. There was no one that also too to have 12 characters and nobody be useless. Yeah. That's crazy. Everybody, it, it it is. It's an incredible film. It really is. It's definitely in, in my my favorite or greatest of all time. And I mean, the other thing too is that we're we're in twenty twenty one, and we can go watch a movie that's close to a hundred years old. It's in black and white, and you're just like it. It's it has it definitely withstands the test of time when it comes to storytelling and it just goes to show you that like i was having a conversation with my brother and we were talking about this and i'll probably get canceled for this one. Oh, great we just started the podcast i know they're gonna cancel it i after a, an adult viewing of the boondock saints it was horrible horrible bro that's my college movie bro take that back can't not the it's boondocks. no and i loved it in the 90s when i saw it but then i watched it again later as an adult and i was like that's the first time i watched it in college like literally the guys were like oh put this on i was like i've never seen this movie and they're like what you have to watch it watched it loved it what's funny is i haven't seen it since i watched it that night and i don't know if it was a if thing. you go back now and watch it it will ruin it no it I will can't. ruin it for you because i was in the same i loved it when i first saw it when i was like in the 90s when it came out and Someone was like, oh, you got, well, there's a 90s, they had to, I was like, no, fuck that. There's movies from 
the 30s, 40s, 50s that are still here today as, as examples that people see, whether it's in film school or just references that we're discussing right here, it was that grand of a story that people still talk about it in reference to being uh, an amazing storyteller. So you can't tell me there was something lacking. The, the Boondocks it just wasn't good. <laughs> it just wasn't good. Uh, it, 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 see, and I think the, everyone gets caught up because it's got like, oh, it's Irish. Uh, they're fighting the mob and there's action and violence. But after you do film and you look at it, it's just like, to be honest, and I honestly don't remember. I remember I enjoyed it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it when we watched it. But then again, that could have been a thing of I was watching it with my football teammates. That was kind of like you you were away from like you were away from home. You were with all your boys. We I want you it. to go back and watch it again. I don't know if I want to, Mike, because I'm afraid now. I um, want you to go back and watch it again, and then. This well, is the reverse cosine. Go back and watch it. You will not like I just want to see if your opinion of it is still the same. Mm. You got. I, I I think that's fair, but you know that they. It 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 it's to me that a great film will always be a great film. It doesn't matter where we fall in time. It's the same thing with music. Great music will always be. Do you think that people, your kids, 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 kids will listen to and know who Michael Jackson is? Yeah, without a doubt, he's made. Not great, but like phenomenal music, and that's that's it. So it will always. It doesn't matter. It could be a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, people will still enjoy it because something that's great and good, it just survives. It just survives. It doesn't have a choice. All right. So, you know that that's that's you know there's probably this. I don't know. And to be honest, there's not a lot of films that that's happened to where I loved it and then some time away coming back and watch it and then not like it. That well, what about the reverse? Like, was there a film that you first watched you didn't like and you went back to? Because for me, the film that sticks out the most to me was Godfather. I watched it by myself the very first time on TV. I didn't like it at all. Then I watched it again because I was in college. But then I watched it two more times after that, though, and I was like, oh, this is really good. Like, I'm not a big fan. <sighs> You really want us to get canceled, Michael. Please don't do I'm that. I'm not saying Gosh, it's... Why I'm, do you hate the podcast? You don't like Godfather? I didn't say do, I didn't like it. Do you like one... Do you not like one and two? No, it's... It's 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 not... The way I gauge how I like something mm -hmm. when it comes to a film mm -hmm. is, is... And this is going to sound crazy because I don't know if this is a thing or not that people consider when they talk about it. I think it's always going to be different when you talk to someone who's just a movie watcher as opposed to someone who loves to watch movies and make films, right? So for me, a great movie or a great film has to do with its rewatchability. Okay. Is it something like, even though I've seen it, would I like to watch it again and again and again? And however, you know, to me, this is good. You want to hear something crazy? Yeah. I'd rather watch Friday than The Godfather. As a black man, I cannot respond <laughs> to what you just said without being crucified myself. So what I will say is you have the right to have your opinion. Mm -hmm. And you should live and stick by your opinion. 
there will be some of us that don't agree with your opinion. I, I, I get that. If if you told me one of them had to go, I, I would keep Friday open. Powered by M3 Creative.